When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I think the main thing for me is that like when we're walking next to each other, he's usually on track. And Bo-Katan, she doesn't really look at her feet that much. Like she's sort of like just instinctively always knows where she's walking. (laughs) So um, for me, I can't look down at him or at the track. So I'm usually trying to figure out where I am and not trip because that's not very Mandalorian of me. Welcome one and welcome all to the latest episode of the Dagobah Dispatch, uh, unless you're listening to this in like June, in which case uh, you have a lot of catching up to do. But we are here this week to get all up into chapter 18 of The Mandalorian, or as I like to call it, Mando Takes a Bath. We are going to break it down. We're going to talk about that big ending and what it all means. And not only that, but we are going to talk to Bo-Katan herself as Katie Sackoff joins us to chat about everything that went down, because that is how we roll right here on the Dagobah Dispatch. And we will just keep on rolling, even with a little Bad Batch discussion as well. Why the hell? Why not? Uh, So much to get to, and there ain't nothing to it but to do it. I am Dalton Ross, joined as always by Devin Kogan and Lauren Morgan. And Lauren, how how much are you loving these double dips of getting new Mandalorian and Bad Batch episodes each week and on the very same day, no less? I know. It's just, you know, I, I this was a really good episode of the Bad Batch. So I am glad we're talking about it because I feel bad for the Bad Batch, like getting just kind of pushed aside for uh, Mando. But I, I am enjoying having both on the same day. Yeah, we're going to talk about both a lot more extensively about Mandalorian, but we're going to hit on the Bad Batch as well uh, after that and before we get to Katie Sackhoff. But before we do all that, uh, Devin, we saw a report the other day coming out of uh, our friend, uh, I believe it was our buddy Adam B. Very, former EW writer, um, who had a report in Variety with some Star Wars news, which was some of it we kind of already knew, but there was some new wrinkles. Why don't you bring us up to speed on what's happening? Yeah, so uh, this report broke in Variety um, that basically, again, this is something we kind of suspected, but this is sort of, you know, the first kind of confirmation that it's happening, which is um, some of the planned um, Star Wars movies that Lucasfilm had in the works were early early development, specifically the ones um, produced by Marvel CEO uh, Kevin Feige and Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins um, are not moving forward. Um, Those have been, you know, a a little while ago, you know, Patty Jenkins' movie was taken off the release schedule. That one's kind of been on hold. Um, We haven't really heard a lot about the Kevin Feige movie since that that news kind of broke. So, again, it doesn't come as a huge surprise, but it is, you know, a pretty big development, um, especially because, you know, it's... um, been a while since we've had a Star Wars movie. Um, you know, the last one was Rise of Skywalker in December 2019. Um, and since then, you know, Disney has been all in on TV, you know, between The Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett and Andor and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, and meanwhile, on the movie side of things, p- things have been pretty quiet. And these, you know, it was sort of, you know, uh, people were under the assumption that these movies were kind of quietly cooking away. And now the idea that they're not happening at all, um, you know, is, is kind of interesting. You know, especially because, you know, it's it's been a while since we've we've had a Star Wars movie and, and um, you know, these these things are no longer in active development. It's it's so weird because for a while the problem was like there's too many Star Wars movies. Yeah. Like it used to be every three right. years and now you're putting them out every few months with like, you know, with with Solo and everything. And then they just went all into Disney Plus and just like forgot about the movies or all everything Anyone that was working on a movie like the Game of Thrones team yeah. or, you know, Ryan Johnson, all these people like just they just never seem to happen. So I have a feeling Star Wars Celebration is coming up in April. Um, unless something goes terribly wrong, we should be there. Uh, we will be chatting with the cast and bringing you news and stuff from there. I have a feeling there's got to be some sort of announcement about a big screen Star Wars movie. Oh, a thousand percent. You know, the last Star Wars celebration um, was in May. It was in Anaheim. And we got a ton of 
TV news. You know, that's where they announced this skeleton crew project with Jude Law. You know, we got some new details about Ahsoka and the Acolyte and, and Andor and all the different, you know, TV things in the works. Um, so I think their TV plate is pretty full um, at this point. They've got a lot of different things in the works. Um, and so I wouldn't be surprised if we heard some news about um, some 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 theatrical films. Um, as far as films that we do know, or at least are rumored to be in the works, um, Taika Waititi, who, um, you know, did Thor Ragnarok and Jojo Rabbit and, you know, is fantastic on Our Flag Means Death. Um, he's working on a film. Um, and per Variety, you know, he would be eyeing to have some sort of role in on-screen appearance in it probably similar to what he did in Thor Ragnarok or, um, or Jojo Rabbit. Um, and then there's also um, a rumored film, you know, being written by Damon Lindelof, um, which would be directed by uh, Charmaine Obaid Shinoy, who did um, some episodes of Miss Marvel. Um, and again, we don't really know anything about what these movies are about when they're set. Are we talking, you know, High Republic? Are we talking, you know, after the sequel trilogy? Are we talking concurrent as Mandalorian? We don't know. Um, but uh, those are sort of the things that are, are are supposed to be in the works. And then, you know, Ryan Johnson again. Ryan Johnson, you know, keeps saying he wants to make his his Star Wars trilogy. Um, and it sounds like Lucasfilm, you know, they haven't been like, hey, it's dead. Um, but he's been kind of busy lately with with Poker Face and with all the Knives Out movies and, and Glass Onion and everything. So um, I don't know if we're going to get any more updates on that one. But I, I think it probably is a safe bet that we are going to get some news out of Star Wars Celebration. And I don't know, I'm really curious. I, I've loved, you know, these TV things, but I miss, you know, I miss getting a big Star Wars score and, and a big musical cue on, on, on the big screen. All right, let me, let, me, let me pose this question to each of you. Mm-hmm. All right, let's just say that you can have, you can only have one. You can have a Star Wars movie from Team Ryan Johnson, Team Damon Lindelof, or Team Taika Waititi. This is a tough choice. You can only have one. Lauren Morgan, you first go. I'll go for Damon Lindelof. Why? Because I think <laughs> Damon Lindelof learned some of the mistakes he made from and lost. And I think his uh, version of The Watchmen was just really expertly done. He understood uh, he understood what the source material was really about without being like slavishly devoted to it. And I think... Uh, I would be really interested to see his take on uh, Star Wars and what he would be, uh, what he would do with it. I am a hundred percent in Lauren's camp. I did the Lost rewatch a few years ago. I was like, oh my god, like Lost is a great rewatch, by yeah. the way, because like you know some of the faults that are coming, and then like, oh, this isn't as bad as I as I remember the hubbub being about <laughs> it. Like this is okay. And then you mentioned Watchmen, which was just perfection. Shout out to Doc Jensen. Uh, and then mm-hmm. let's not forget about the leftovers also, yeah. which was like in you know started a little slow. By the way, if you watch the leftovers and you stop watching for like two or three episodes, I get it. But by the second half of that first season and then into the other seasons, I mean that was just, that show was just perfection as well. So I would be all put all my chips in on Lindelof. Devin, which way do you go? I think I'm also all in on on Lindelof. I think if you would have asked me a year ago. Um, I probably would have said uh, Taika because um, I'm a huge fan of a lot of the things he's done. Um, I, I Thor Ragnarok might be one of my absolute favorite Marvel movies in the way that, you know, you're taking a, a franchise and kind of turning it on its head and having fun with it and, and being weird and colorful and inventive. Um, you know, I love, you know, What We Do in the Shadows is is one of my another one of my favorite films of all time. I wasn't terribly impressed with Thor Love and Thunder. Um, and yeah. so that that sort of, you know, dampened my enthusiasm a little bit. Um, so, but I think, you know, I, I'm I'm all in for Lindelof. And I'm also really curious to see what Ryan Johnson has up its sleeve. You know, I, I think a lot of people have, you know, it's not controversial to say that The Last Jedi is a is a polarizing movie. Um, you either love it or you hate it. Um, and but I, I would love to see more of of Ryan Johnson's kind of world and what he could do when um, you know because I, I think we can all certainly agree that like visually, The Last Jedi is you know miles ahead of you know a lot of the things that we've seen from from Star Wars on the big screen lately. Um, so I, I would be very curious to see kind of what he has cooking. And I've really enjoyed like Poker Face and, and Knives Out and glass onion and they've all been home runs for me so i i'm, I'm curious but i think yeah if I, if I could only pick one i i'm real curious about what damon lindelof can do wow all right look at that clean sweep yeah for damon lindelof not not so, too bad there you go uh, or anything you guys want to touch on from the, the all that news 
Um, I, I know that, you know, <laughs> there's the joke that, you know, they keep announcing Star Wars movies and then never making Star yeah. Wars movies. And honestly, I just really will not believe a Star Wars movie is happening until I see a production photo of them starting to film. And honestly, I kind of enjoy I'm enjoying Star Wars on the TV because you know, on the television, because, you know, you can really dig a lot deeper than you can in a film. And, uh, you know, I'm kind of OK with it just being TV for now. Um, and I don't want them to do a movie unless they have a really good idea. Like I don't want them them to be making a star Wars movie because Bob Iger and Disney is saying you have to release a star Wars movie on December 25th, 2025 or whatever. Like I want them to be making it because it's a good story. It would further, you know, the story that we've already had in, uh, of the galaxy. Like I, I want them to be making it for the right reasons and not just because Disney is demanding a Star Wars movie from them. Well, even if you get that production photo, Laura, Lauren, by the time the movie comes out, half the people that were in that production photo may not still be. I, I still remember <laughs> yeah. Phil Lord oh, they, and, yeah, and, and Chris Miller or whatever, like in, in the uh, in the the Millennium Falcon cockpit uh, yeah. photo. Uh, that, that became a big problem <laughs> afterward, because then when we were like, at least, you know, as a photo editor, you always just need a photo of, you know, a production and something. And you're like, oh, we've got a photo. And then after that, you're like, I can't use this photo because it's too <laughs> Stupid directors are in it. So that was always a problem after that. Well, so. we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah, yeah. I, I'll believe when when my butt is in the theater seat and the lights yeah. go down and yeah. we see, you know, in a galaxy um, a long, long time ago in a galaxy. Well, will away. they do that? Like, will they yeah. still do the crawl? They, 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 I don't know. Yeah, they don't. They don't Probably generally not, do that right? For, yeah, they don't generally do it for not. It's just the Skywalker saga. Yeah. yeah. So mm. we'll see. I, would, I would like them to go back to the crawl. And I will say this. Like, I... I miss not having it on Rogue One. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I mean, Solo, whatever. But like, I would, I I like the crawl. I don't think the crawl should be there on TV yeah. every week for an episode. But I think for, if if I were, thank God I'm not, but if I were running things <laughs> over at Lucasfilm, I'd be like, theatrical movies have the crawl. That's just I me. think they have the long time ago bit, but they don't have the crawl. I right. Could be oh, they have the, yeah, the, it ends it. with yeah. the ellipses. Yeah. And right. in, um, after the dead will speak or whatever that right. started off the rise of Skywalker crawl. God. But also, I don't know. Song. For me, the crawl is so tied into the title music. Um, the yeah. John Williams music and, you know, John Williams uh, won't be scoring a lot of these going forward. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it, it would be weird to have the the crawl without the, you know, big fanfare and the brass and the, you know, but I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens. Um, we'll see what kind of news we get out of Star Wars Celebration and we can start arguing about, you know, crawl or no crawl. Well, I think, remember, the no crawl decision was kind of like right as before all the streaming service yeah. shows were on. So I think that's a way to differentiate them, right? Yeah. That's a way to help different. Well, hey, I'm getting Star Wars on small screen. Why do I need a big screen? It's a, it's a small thing. But I do think if it's not the crawl, you have to have some sort of reason why, you know, yeah. differentiating the two properties. I don't know. We'll see. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, by the way, before we get into Mando news, I just want to give a shout out. Um, our, so... Lauren and I in New York City work on the seventh floor of uh, EW headquarters here. And I got very upset recently. Well, I got to say, Dot Dash Meredith, our corporate over overlords, have really stepped up in their snack game uh, <laughs> ever post-pandemic. Like, just really, they, they got bagel days, they got open bars, they got- Goldfish all then, the time. Yeah, there's all oh. sorts of things happening. But then at some point recently- they switch from regular M&Ms to peanut M&Ms. And I don't do peanut M&Ms. What is right? wrong with you? Those yeah, are the no, best kind. Do not, not a fan. Oh my God, not a fan. I can't eat chocolate, so you've got no... You're out of this discussion. Yeah, I'm out of this discussion. So I've been very kind of stewing about it, sort of Charlie Browning my way around the seventh <laughs> floor. And then I come down here to the fourth floor where we're recording regular M&Ms. So oh, I filled up a little cup. There they are. <laughs> Going to have oh. myself some M&M's maybe during this discussion. Very excited about it. My um, hot take is that regular M&M's are useless. And why would anyone ever want to eat them? I've, I've found they're very good for bribing children. So that th those are my 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 uses of M&M's anymore. Ha Devin, since you're a chocolate eater like me, have you had like pretzel M&M's? Yes. Or I've crispy M&M's? Peanut butter M&M's. Not peanut M&M's. Peanut butter yeah, M&M's. Yeah, I like which that. Are good. Um, no, but peanut M&M's in the yellow packaging. That's the that's the that's the go to. That's nope. my number one choice. It's a hard pass. You might as well just eat Reese's Pieces if you're going to do that. That's what I think. Well, Reese's Pieces don't have like they don't have on. chocolate on it, so I can eat. I can eat. Oh, Reese's you can eat that. Pieces. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. Like that too. So, gotcha. You and ET. All right, uh, mm -hmm. let's get into uh, to Mandalorian uh, episode two, chapter eighteen. 
the Mines of Mandalore. Uh, there's a big ending uh, that we're going to get into. Uh, and then Devin, uh, just a reminder, is chatting with Katie Sackoff. And so you're going to get to hear that in a little bit uh, as well. But let's start at the very beginning of the episode, uh, if we may, because so I need a little help with like geography in this galaxy because <laughs> Mando bad. leaves Navarro. He goes to Kelvala to chat with Bo-Katan, right? Yeah. Kelvala's right next to Mandalore. You can see it. It's yeah. right next to Mandalore. Yet then Mando goes all the way back to Tatooine to get like a re replacement IG memory circuit, then goes all the way back to Mandalore. And this just does not seem like the most direct route to me. If I'm that's, using like space waves. is fast. Though, yeah, but so, it's, yeah. I'm sorry. This is a nightmare route if you're putting on like, like Google Maps. Yeah. I mean, I'm not really sure. Like, I can't quite remember where, like, I mean, I have an idea of where Tatooine is, but I can't remember, like, where Mandalore. I know they're, like, all, like, the, they're in the Outer Rim, though. So I assume it's not, like, going to the Core Worlds and then back from the Core Worlds. So, but, yeah, I thought that when I was watching the episode, I'm like, this is kind of dumb for him to go to Tatooine and then back to the Because Mandalore. it wasn't, like, something happened on Kelvala where he's like, oh, I got to I gotta go ahead back yeah. and see Pelimato now. He I feel like he could have just, like, sent, you know... Bo-Katan like a hollow message like you know like hey you know she's not doing anything she's just hanging out on her throne I'm sure she could have gotten a hollow message but she really is not doing anything no no like, she's just this yeah. bitch is just sitting there <laughs> on her like pseudo throne with no subjects now, and a weird droid I was like there must be other people on Calabar. <laughs> like, where the heck? Like, what is she doing with that droid? That's yeah, what I want to know. Yeah, what is just, happening there? This yeah. is actually something, and not to spoil the later conversation, but this was actually something Katie Sackoff brought up. She was like, "Yeah, like I, I love the idea that Bo-Katan's just like hanging out in her sweatpants, and then she gets like a call, like, oh, you have a visitor.' She's like, "Dang, okay." And then like, ring, like goes and like poses on the throne and be like, "Oh, I wasn't expecting any, you know, just to be so casual." I was like, "I love that. I love that she's just like hanging out and like being sad and in her sweatpants, and then just being." Like, oh no, I gotta go, you know, put I gotta on my put armor. On, I gotta put on and, my armor. So you know she's like secretly so excited to have a visitor and she like goes out there and is like I told you not to come back but she's like literally tingling inside like a little schoolgirl like oh my god someone wants to see me? Like, really? But no but the thing about you know about Din that we're realizing is that he only trusts like four people in the whole galaxy which is why mm -hmm. he's like I'm gonna instead of getting any other droid I'm gonna go all the way to Navarro and try to rebuild IG-11 who blew up and rather than you know uh, hanging out you know near Mandalore I'm gonna go all the way back to Tatooine and I'm gonna find Pelimato because I know I can trust her even though she's crazy um, and uh, yeah I mean like look he he's he's met like there, he, there's like four people he likes and so he's like I'm gonna travel across the galaxy just to see them I mean this mostly just made me want like a Pelimato like you know, like bottle episode like we were just you know we're just with Peli for the episode <laughs> Well, what do you make of R5-D4 playing such a crucial role? I know. Role well, it was a now. funny thing because like last week, Mando was like, only IG, only IG. And then she's like, well, I've got this one. And, you know, uh, and it's nice to see him finally getting an adventure. But Mando was pretty quick, like, well, I guess so. And I'm just like, what about this whole thing with IG? Like, you know, I was like, you, you know, I thought IG was the only droid for you, but I guess not. Do we really feel like R5-D4 would have survived this long? That thing no. was not looking good. No. In A New Hope. There's like smoke coming out of it. Like It just seemed like, you know, some faulty droid manufacturing, you know. I'm sure there has to be another like R2 unit around there that he could have used instead. <laughs> He's got like a bad Jaw motivator. Yeah, yeah that's true. I feel so. like Jawas are like scrapping that thing for parts yeah, pretty at, much. Some, at some point. So actually, though, I was looking this up because I was I was I was looking up something about R five, just being like, you know, it's it's kind of cool. What a cool throwback to you know have him yeah. finally get to go on an adventure. And I read something that apparently like suggests that like R two told R five to blow his motivator so that he could like make that happen and go with C three PO. But I don't know if that's like I've seen a New Hope at five thousand times. I never really picked it's, up on that. I feel yeah. like that was in some sort of expanded like maybe like a comic book and like yeah. you know like at, but now it's so weird Devin because like what is canon now and what isn't oh, yeah. there was stuff that was canon that now is not canon you know I don't even have to get into the whole Thrawn thing but I guess that's a recent <laughs> example of a character that's very much a part of this new world of of um Star Wars yet now the whole thing that made Thrawn so awesome people loved is completely moot and doesn't exist anymore so I, I don't know if if that is now still canon or not? I don't know. It's very confusing. It's like a lot. It's like the whole Clone Wars animated series was the only thing that got kind of grandfathered into the new canon. But uh, <laughs> like everything else, it's like, 
I don't know what, you know, I guess you could just kind of uh, these kind of things. You can make up your own, you yeah. know, decide what you want to believe. So so he, he gets R5-D4, then he goes into the mines of Mandalore. And what do we think about this weird alien creature that attacks him, which kind of has a general Grievous vibe to me in the sense that he's oh, sort yeah. of encased in all sorts of machinery and stuff. Lauren, what'd you think of that? I thought that was pretty uh, interesting. I did like the fact that it was like, you know, part mechanical, part alien. And I wound up just nicknaming it Chitters because I was like, I have no idea what this alien is. And I'm sure maybe this popped up somewhere else. And, and like, you know, maybe this is a, an alien that was in a uh, a comic or something. I I couldn't. I didn't know before, but it, I was like, it was a wily little bastard. <laughs> yeah. Just kind of kept going. But I uh, I thought the way, and I will say, I, I I did. I liked this episode a lot more than I liked the first episode, and I thought it was pretty well done. And uh, you know, I thought the whole uh, the battle with chitters, and uh, it was kind of interesting to see who was wielding the dark saber better. Between like like you know, uh, Din was not doing too well with it. But then when Bo Katan got on it, it was like, oh, she's been fighting with this thing. She knows how to fight with this thing. Where Din still is kind of like, it just seems like it's way too heavy for him or something. Or well, like let that. me. I, I want to ask you guys about that because mm -hmm. here's my question when I watch the episode: If the alien defeated Mando, and then Bo Katan defeats the alien, does she not have a claim to the dark saber? One legitimately in battle. I was thinking that because I mean, it, I mean, it is pretty much like, you know, like Mando totally got caught by this this thing. And then, you know, but I don't know because it was kind of discarded. It's not like it's not like Chitters was battling her with the Darksaber and she won it with him. But I honestly just don't know what the the lore behind the Darksaber is. But it, like it is just very obvious to me, like when you, you see the two of them fighting like with it, like she is much more capable with it than he is. So, so I, I actually asked Katie Sackoff that question. Mm. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll get to her answer in a little bit. Um, mm. But um, I thought her answer was, was really kind of interesting. Um, so I'll, I'll be, you know, we, we can, we can talk. Did about you get that. the sense it was something and don't spoil it. Cause we'll, we'll all listen to it. But did you get the sense that it was something that they had talked about, like on set, like that she and Filoni and Favreau, like had this discussion about what does this mean? Very much so. And this is something yeah. that, that she talked about sort of generally is that, you know, she's played this character for 10 years now, um, you know, and mm -hmm. she came into the Clone Wars and, you know, she thought it was just going to be, you know, a couple episodes and how fun to voice a Star Wars character. And now she is playing this character in live action. Um, and she talked about how, you know, much joy it brings her that Filoni and Favreau, you know, ask her opinion. They're like, what do you think Bo-Katan would, would do in this situation? Like, you know, they really treat her as like an expert on this character. Um, and she just talked about how gratifying that is and, and you know, how much love she has for this character. Um, and basically, you know, it's, it's, she talks about, you know, how at this point, you know, Bo-Katan doesn't even really want the Darksaber. You know, we see her, she's pretty depressed. She's hanging out on her throne. She thinks she's kind of lost everything. Um, she's she's kind of given up on all of it. She's kind of given up on Mandalore. Um, and we see that even when, you know, I mean, she's always been dismissive of, of Din and, and you know, the sort of, um, this is the way mumbo jumbo. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we see her sort of, you know, th this episode is about her sort of like rediscovering her, you know, love for Mandalore and, and sort of returning to this planet that she's sort of like, you know, written off. Um, so it's 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 just I don't know. I found it really interesting, and I love the fact that she feels so protective over this character and so you know gives so much thought to this character, um, and really gets you know to to have those conversations on set. So what did you think then, Devin, of this whole action spectacular sequence with, uh, as, as Lauren has dubbed the creature Chitters, uh, taking down Mando and his, all his contraptions and stuff? It freaked me out, man. I don't know. I, something about him. I was like, I don't like this. When he's like draining Mando's blood, I was like, I don't, I don't know what he's going to do with that, but I don't like it. Um, yeah, this is one of the creepier things we've seen on Mandalorian so far. I don't know about you guys, but this was one where I was like, ooh, I don't, this is, this is like full creepiness. I, I, I don't I, know. I, I liked it because I, I'll be honest, I wasn't that into like the weird troll looking characters. It looked yeah. very like Henson-esque, yeah. kind of like they were very 80s. jumped out of the, the Labyrinth uh, or Dark Crystal franchise, which is fine for that franchise. But it, it yeah, it looked very, it did not look scary the or cool. or something like that. I can't remember exactly what they called them, but yeah. I think it was just to show those, those creatures, I think, because like Bo-Katan had said that, you know, they had been living in like the wastelands of Mandalore. 
and the fact that they were able to survive. I thought there was a lot of interesting stuff with Bo-Katan in this episode with her, where it's like, you know, Mando's a real true believer about like the lore and the legends of Mandalore. And Bo-Katan, despite being part of the royal family and like a ruler, is not really like, she's just like, these are just myths to entertain the the the, the people. Like, these aren't really true. So I thought that was really interesting, like that, you know, Bo-Katan coming from such an sort of an exalted place uh, you know, and Mandalore is just very much like whatever, and then and and Din, who's really not exalted at all, like really believes in all of this lore, and I thought that was kind of a very interesting tension between the two of them uh, in this episode, and you know, the ending kind of uh, challenges all of what Bo-Katan's thinking. I, I feel we need a scene between Bo-Katan and the armor. Like that, <laughs> yeah. you, that you think it's right? a little like weird and eye rolly with with Bo-Katan and Din, and we need Bo-Katan yeah. and the armor together. But I think it's like just funny because you could tell, and I thought this was uh, funny about Katie's performance is that she just really does think Din is kind of silly, like like you're just ridiculous and your cult is ridiculous and all this sort of stuff. Uh, but she's just like kind of just sort of bemused and humoring him for the whole entire like you know after she saves him she's like sure I'll take you to the living waters though there's nothing about them they're just water it's just water so I thought that was kind of interesting so so let, let let's get into the ending yeah um so Bo-Katan takes him to the living waters I guess there's like a plaque there like yeah. you can see it, like a monument <laughs> here on Earth or something yeah uh, and so she reads that off and then and Mandalorian gets in the water in his armor um yeah. doesn't a seem choice. comfortable. Yep. Yeah. And then uh and basically gets pulled underwater um as sort of I think Lauren referenced it's sort of like the trash compactor scene yeah. in New Hope with Luke and is and so she jetpacks her way down to the bottom and finds him there and is jetpacking him up in the water which I guess works in water. Yeah, I was trying to figure <laughs> out I'm like do jetpacks work in water? Uh, that doesn't seem like that would. So. Okay, whatever. Uh, so um but as she's doing it she comes across a giant beast underwater. And Lauren, you wrote a great post about this on EW.com that everyone should read. But why don't you bring everyone up to speed in terms of what that is and what that means? So if you guys have watched the, uh, I know we talked about the uh, recaps uh, and how you avoid the recap. But when I was watching it the second time, the armor very clearly talks about the mythosaur and the rise, like, you know, the uh, rise of the mythosaur would herald a new age of Mandalore. And so at the end, when uh, Bo-Katan's underwater, her, she sees the, uh, an enormous eye. And as she can sort of see as the, the beast turns, you see the two very uh, iconic uh, horns. Yeah. Horns that are the symbol of the mythosaur. And so there is a living mythosaur in the waters of the mines of Mandalore. So I was kind of, when I saw that, I was just like, well, is, you know, if you're looking at what the armor says, like, does this press, presage like a new age of Mandalore? And, you know, and, and I thought that was the very interesting, well, like this whole episode where Bo-Katan's like, yeah, this is, that's just a legend. That's just a myth. That, 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 that ma- that, and the myth was that Mandalore the Great had, yeah, tamed, Mandalore had tamed the mythosaur. Yeah, he had tamed the mythosaur and all this sort of stuff. So the mythosaur is like, it's the symbol, it's like the symbol of Mandalore. And so like now that there's a living symbol of Mandalore in the mines, like, you know, this is kind of really, I mean, it kind of knocks her on her butt in terms of what she was, what she was believing about uh her society and her planet and you know i think it's kind of a really interesting kind of sets the scene for the rest of the season well it it sets the scene so let's predict in terms of where it's gonna go one of these two people is gonna tame the mythosaur right like i mean i feel like one of these two people is gonna tame the mythosaur and lead mandalore back yeah so who is it is it bo katan or is it din well that's why i was kind of thinking because she was also talking about the conflicts that uh you know uh have sort of riven Mandalore in the past and it's like well you know is it just going to be one of them or is this going to be something where both of them have to learn to lead Mandalore together um like you power know, couple power couple yes um but it, it, I think it's just kind of interesting to see like you know what because it's like Din does not seem to want to be a leader at all yeah he agreed. just is kind of like I don't really care about this dark saber I don't care like you know I'm just trying to get back to my you know I'm just trying to get back to my cult uh you know he doesn't really want to be a leader he wants to take care of grogu and you know but bo-katan is really like her family is just chock full of mandalorian leaders 
Uh, but you know, currently she doesn't have anyone to follow her, so it's kind of interesting between the two. Like, Make a prediction, Lauren. Stop waffling. Stop Who's waffling. Uh, I think it's going to be Bo-Katan because I just don't see that. I mean, obviously Mando has an, a, a a part to play in it, but I just don't. He just doesn't seem to want to be a leader. So, Devin, who's going to tame the mythosaur? I don't know. I, which is great answer. I know. Um, I Devin think, Gogan, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, <laughs> you know this is this is why they pay me the big bucks. Um, no, I. I think. It's going to be a joint effort to tame the mythosaur, but I think Bo-Katan's going to end up on the throne because I don't yeah. think Din doesn't want it. And, you know, um, my here's my other question. And this is something I almost brought up last week, but decided to save for this week is the other thing that I think they're foreshadowing is we hear Pelimato be like, oh, my God, was that Grogu's first words? <laughs> and we hear like a lot of like babbling and things like that. I think Grogu is going to say his first words this season. And I want to, I want to hear your thoughts on what do you think those first words are going to be? Cause I, I will stake money on that, that we're going to, I think they're telegraphing that loud and clear. That season gonna, finale. Potentially. Yeah. Seems like a season finale move. Kind of like the head, the helmet came off in the season yeah. two finale. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah. Something like, yeah. like that. Oh God, we should predict the first word. I could see him saying, it's not going uh, to be dad, dad, is it? Oh, you I mean, think it's going to be a full sentence? You think he's going to full sentence? I don't think it's going to be a full sentence, but I could see him say like Din or, you know, yeah. or like Frogs. Dad or like, you know, something like that. Um, you know, uh, I I think I maybe, maybe Lauren, you're right. Maybe he will just be like Frog. Frog, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or Yum. Maybe yeah, Yum. Yum. Yeah. Yum. Or... Yum. I could see it being Yum. Yeah, like yum. I could totally see him eating something. I, yeah, I can't yum. see it being like a sentence. I can see it being like something, you know, a kid would be like, you know, yum or, you know, that da, kind of da. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. So yeah. I'm how old is this guy? Start speaking already. This dude's old. <laughs> He's 50. I know. Right? Jeez, get with it. Yeah. yeah. So. All right. Um, but anyway, I'm putting money on that. I called it now. Mark the date. Yeah, it's a good call. That's a good yeah. call. I, I I think it's Bo-Katan's gonna gonna tame the mythosaur and rule over Mandalore. Nice. Again, so we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that all. You know, I wasn't out. even like thinking when we saw the mythosaur. I wasn't even thinking about taming the mythosaur. I was just thinking about like you know it you know prefaced the the rise of an age of Mandalore, and so it's sort of like. I wasn't really thinking about who was going to tame it. Oh, I'm like, totally. Because they, they read that. She yeah, read they the read plaque, that thing. Where she basically says, Mandalore the Great, tame the but I, was just, I was like, that thing is really big. And I don't know how, because like I was looking at the mine entrance and I'm like, that's going to be hard to get that. that so you think, you think the they're just like, all right, well, goodbye. And yeah. just leave it there. No. <laughs> be awesome I, I kind of feel like, you know, uh, the, the, you know, oh, well, this myth is true. What other myths are true that I have discounted? That's kind of where I thought. It was more. It be could be. It could be like the Rancor situation, yeah. Book of Boba Fett, where like they introduce the Rancor, then you kind of like let us forget about the Rancor, yeah. and, and then, then at the it'll finale, pop out. right? So it'll be like Mandalorians are going to come there, and they're going to be feuding. They're all going to like honestly, sit, though, sit there like you know it, weird wire guns against each other, and all of a sudden the Mythosaur is going to yeah. Like honestly, come out. though, it might be Grogu who tames the Mythosaur because I mean he tamed the Rancor, so maybe it's Good Grogu. Point. Yeah. Good point. Yeah. All right. Anything you all want to discuss about this uh, episode? I just on. really liked this episode. I liked it better than the premiere. Um, I yeah, thought it was like, too. you know, stuff started happening. I, I liked Bo-Katan. Um, you know, I, I loved all the, the you know, sort of diving into, into Mandalore. Um, I'm, I was into all of it. So I'm very yeah, curious. Yeah, it, 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 it had an ending where we just felt like we we're getting some propulsion. Like, yeah. okay, all right. I see what's going on now. Like, it, and so I think that was sort of a little more impactful than the end of the first episode. I thought the first, I think we talked about, we liked all the scenes in the first episode. Yeah, it just didn't coalesce yeah. into yeah, something. Yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like a season premiere. It felt like more like the fourth episode of a, of a yeah. you know. Agreed. Yeah. Whereas yeah. this had an actual uh, like momentum and arc. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to speak with Katie Sackhoff in just, just a minute about the episode, or at least Devin is. Uh, but let's just real quickly, we don't go crazy long on this, yeah. but Bad Batch had a very good episode uh, this week. Um, the Outpost, I think it was called? Yes. Episode 12 of this season uh, that you guys, you know, may not have caught up on because you're busy catching up on The Mandalorian. It's basically a crosshair episode, and I'll just lay it out real quickly for you. Spoilers if you haven't watched um, yet. But basically, Crosshair goes on some mission to some outpost on a Hoth-like planet, and he meets Commander Mayday. 
who also has a very nice haircut. I yeah, <laughs> Commander Mayday is looking pretty good. Yeah. Um, we love and, a haircut. Yeah, love a haircut. And basically, like, they're on this mission. And the clones, they get back to the fact that the clones are being phased out. The episode, Devin, starts with, like, some clones being told, you're being, being decommissioned. Like, well, what do we do? We're soldiers. They're like, you know, deal with that. It's not my problem. See ya. And Crosshair kind of overhears all this. So he's, he's like, oh, they're, they're phasing us out. I've been a loyal soldier. What's going on? So he goes on this mission and basically like essentially him and Mayday kind of bond and Mayday saves Crosshair at one point, but then Mayday's going to gonna die. He's, he does the whole like they're in this avalanche. He's like, they're going without me. I'm not going to make it like classic yeah. line. Love that. And then Crosshair does a very uncrosshair thing, which he even references early in the episode that he would never do. He he carries him on his back all the way there. Then some like quintessential like evil lieutenant guy. Like this guy is just evil Imperial Lieutenant 101. I mean, it's just so hilarious. It's like he served his purpose. Like we're not going to waste our medicine like helping him literally. And so Crosshair just stands up and basically just kills the lieutenant. Like, yeah. Straight up murders this dude. Uh, and then blacks out because he's also been injured. And then he ends up later in this whole Imperial cloning facility and they're working on him and that's for this bigger project. But I watch all this and then I look at Lauren Morgan as I am right now and I defy Lauren Morgan to tell me that Crosshair is not the most interesting clone. He, I, you know, I don't think he's the most interesting clone, but I, you know. He's of Clone Troop 99. Of Clone Troop 99. No, I still don't think. I mean... He's more interesting than he was last season, and I'm really glad they're doing this kind of stuff with him. But honestly, if you know, if I wanted to hang out with one of the clones, he wouldn't be the one. You're a hater. Admit. You're such a hater. I'm not a hater. You are drinking haterade right now I am in this not studio. Yes, you are. I just like the other clones better. Let me ask you this. Yes. If they were going to do a spinoff ser like series a or a movie. Yeah, exactly. A spinoff <laughs> series or movie on one of these characters, on one of Clone Force 99, mm -hmm. and you're a producer. And now you have to think, what's the clone that can carry its own, its own show? Which of those Bad Batch clones would it be? I don't know. I mean, I think a spinoff of a spinoff is a little bit. Uh, the answer is Crosshair. I it's not even close. No, I don't know. I think it's Captain Rex. But no, I said of the clone Troop 99. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. it's Crosshair. No, probably. Um, I didn't know you're such a Crosshair lover. I, I get I, you a t-shirt. <laughs> He's got the cool, like, target on his eye. Uh, you know what I mean? Uh, he's got the toothpick out of his mouth. Nah. So, I mean, he's fine. And, like, I really do think he was very interesting in this episode because, uh, you know, he's he's finally sort of questioning what exactly the Empire is doing and that the Empire has absolutely no use for the clones. No matter how good they are at their jobs, no matter what, they just, they're like, yeah, go die. We don't care. Yeah. You know, literally. and for like people who are, you know, soldiers who are really have been committed to something, uh, you know, that's, that must be a hard thing to think. The one thing that I do think is funny about the, uh, the, uh, you know, these Imperial, like these classic Imperial, I'm like, like, uh, a year ago, this was the Republic. So what were you guys doing during the Republic? Like, yeah, totally. Were you just like being jerks during yeah. the Republic? Yeah. No. <laughs> just biding your time? I you know. know, yeah. You know, so. It's, um, I mean, the question I guess that everyone has, and this, this pertains to the bigger Star Wars galaxy, is this like Palpatine, Snoke type stuff that yeah, they're doing? this here? is what I'm assuming that this is because... If you see uh, the, uh, I think it's her name is Emery, but she's played by Keisha. Uh, yeah, Keisha, Emery. Keisha Castle Hughes, Hughes plays who Emery. Who was, uh, I think, one of the Padme uh, uh, clones and, uh, well, not Padme clones, the handmaidens in Phantom Menace. Uh, so she's returning to the Star Wars galaxy. But she's wearing a very similar outfit to what Dr. Pershing wears in, Mandal uh, in Mandalorian. And it's like all of this stuff seems like it's all heading in the same place because it's like there's all of this like this mysterious cloning thing that the emperor is doing. And we see like, you know, uh, they need Grogu for cloning a force user. So I feel like all of this stuff is basically leading to the vat of Snoke's uh, <laughs> my yeah. understanding. So 
And it's interesting how they're going to time all this out because it's literally happening. If it's all the same thing, Devin, yeah. it's happening on two different shows that are airing simultaneously. And in a totally different timeline, too. In totally different timelines. Yeah, yeah. Interesting so it's stuff. like, I mean, these, these things are about like, you know, uh, like almost 20 years apart happening over like maybe 25 years apart. So how does Dave Filoni, who either writes or produces or directs, how does he keep all this, like the timelines, <laughs> no like seriously straight? Like he's got like five different projects. At I think least. It, I think it's Pablo Hidalgo who's doing yeah, all of this it's, stuff. It's probably him. But honestly, I don't even think John Favreau is keeping all the timelines yeah, straight. No, I, yeah. he's, like, <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, it was like two years that he was that Grogu was with Luke and everybody yeah, watching I, I was think, like, what? I, I, I think I think Dave is the is the person with the, the lore knowledge. And, you know, John's the one who's just like, yeah, let's make it look cool and this yeah. kind of stuff, you know, like the, the production mechanics versus the lore uh, stuff. But. Yeah, it's, I, it all seems like it's leading into the same 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 place. But well, it was good stuff. This is what I really like the Bad Batch the most is when they get into sort of the mythology and go with these yeah. sort of like broader storylines. The past few episodes were more standalone things, which were fine. But this is sort of a more bigger picture stuff. That if you're a big Star Wars franchise fan, like oh, like in, important yeah. stuff's happening here. This is the whole like phase over from the clones to the stormtroopers and we're seeing what's now happening to the clones in the wake of that. It's really, it's really good stuff. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's get back to the Mandalorian. Devin had a chance to chat with Bo-Katan herself, Katie Sackhoff, about the latest episode of Mando. It's an interview you are definitely going to want to hear and is coming up right after this quick break. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to chat with me. I'm so excited to get to talk to you um, specifically about episode two. This is a really fun one. Yes, it is. I really love this episode and I love, um, I I wanted to start, you know, you get to spend a lot of time kind of basically by yourself, you know, kind of exploring Mandalore with Grogu. What's it like to yeah. kind of film these, these big scenes with, with Grogu as your, as your only scene partner? You know, it, it truly feels like just another scene partner. Um, I've, I've worked with over the years, so many children and dogs and, <laughs> you know, uh, tennis balls that I think at this point, you know, the fact that he is animatronic and has the puppeteers who are absolutely brilliant controlling him, it truly makes it feel like you're in a scene with someone. So, um, I actually find him quite quite easy and enjoyable to work with. That's good. So, I mean, yeah, yeah so especially when you're like poking around some of these dark ruins and, you know, like ex exploring things, that's got to be fun. Absolutely. I mean, I think the main thing for me is that like when we're walking next to each other, he's usually on track. And so I have to be like, and Bo-Katan, like she doesn't really look at her feet that much. Like she's sort of like just instinctively always knows where she's walking. <laughs> so um, for me, I can't look down at him. Um, are at the track. So I'm usually trying to figure out where I am and not trip because that is, that's not very Mandalorian of me. <laughs> and I'm quite clumsy. So <laughs> That's got to be tricky. I imagine, especially when you've got the big helmet on. It is. It is. You know, I am really, really lucky in the sense that because the the owl eyes on my helmet sort of like slant down a little bit, I actually have a little bit more peripheral vision than the guys do. So um, especially if we don't, my, my helmet has like these plastic plates that lock me into it. And if I keep those off, I can actually see quite a bit down the bottom of my helmet. Um, but it, it definitely takes away focus. <laughs> That's tricky. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, when we see Bo-Katan, you know, at the beginning of the season, uh, you know, she's very much like, whatever, you go back to Mandalore, I'm kind of over it. That's that's yeah. kind of a very different um, than the Bo-Katan we've met before, who's like very intense and very driven. What interested you about kind of like where she starts this this season, sort of like the beginning of this this journey? I think what for me, what was the most interesting about this season was that I think it was the culmination of the last 
more than 10 years that we've known this woman and, and every single thing that she's been through and the emotional toll and the just exhaustion of, of, uh, the sort of directive that she's given herself, which is to, you know, unite and lead and, and bring her people together and always try to do what she thought was the best for Mandalore. And she has failed mercilessly multiple times. I think it has finally worn her down. And I think that she gave up, you know, I think that she's, she's sort of sitting there, you know, reevaluating every single thing that she's done in her life. And I think that, at, you know, one of the things that the driving forces behind Bo is, is she has so much guilt from, from the death of her sister that if she could just make it right, that it would in a, in a certain way atone for that, if you can. Um, and so I just think all of that is going through her head. She's lost everything. She's lost her homeworld. She's lost her family. She's lost her team. She's lost Mandalore. She's literally lost everything. The Darksaber, everything she thought that she needed is gone. So I, that's a pretty devastating place to start. Yeah, I was struck by, you know, in the in the the season premiere, you know, we see her like alone, like in this giant kind of castle, basically sitting on this this cold throne. I mean, that that's such a, you know, powerful scene. Yeah, it, you know, it, it, <laughs> And the second one, <laughs> um, it is, you know, I think that I really wanted to embody the throne with disrespect um, to the throne. And, um, you know, John and I and Rick really, really sat there and took pictures and tried to figure out what was the best angle for her to sit at, what looked the most like purposefully disrespectful and sort of like, you know, um, uh, and, and, and not just disrespectful, but also like bored, she's bored, like, you know, all of these things. And we settled on that partially because I'm so dinky compared to the actual throne itself. I think they built this throne I, I don't know who they thought was going to sit on it, but you know, Chris Hemsworth, I am not. So, <laughs> so I think all of a sudden I sat on it and they were like, Oh, she's little. <laughs> so, so um, I think we had to figure out a way to, to take up more of the space. Cause it's such a massive space. Um, I saw this really, really funny. Someone tweeted a TikTok of this woman that is so hysterical because my husband said the same thing. He looked at me and he went, how long has she been sitting there? <laughs> and I saw this, this fantastic TikTok where this woman dressed as, as in bow cosplay is, uh, you know, sort of just like hanging out bored, blah, blah, blah. And like, all of a sudden she hears a ship and she's like, Oh no. And she's like taking off her sweatshirt and like putting her boots on. And she's like, <laughs> you know, basically trying to answer the door and look like she doesn't care. Um, and it was really, really funny. Um, and so that's the humorous side of things for sure. You know, whether or not she knew that he was there and she did that for his benefit is up to interpretation, you know? She's got to make a big entrance. You know, it's like he walks in this big throne room. It's got to, you know, you got to go for the drama of it. I know. I mean, you know, she could, she could be sitting there like playing with a yo-yo or something. <laughs> she could, you know, so we, we went with what we thought was one of the strongest, but also um, I think that, that viewers are potentially asking a lot of questions and a little confused. So That's I think it's fair. a good place to start. Yeah. And, you know, you talked about, you know, how this has been, you know, basically like a decade long journey with this character and you've gotten to play her at, you know, so many different parts of her life. I mean, I know you've talked about when you first got the job on the Clone Wars, you assumed it was like a couple of episodes and then, you know, you'd be done. And and now here you are, you know, getting to play her in live action. What's that like for you when you think about like that, that journey? Um, it's first of all, I realized and I'll answer your question, but I realized I have the exact same shirt on that I had on when I did my interview with EW in 2020. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Oh that's my God, so that's funny. amazing. I love it. It's one of my favorite shirts. Of course I have it on. Um, um, <laughs> it just struck me and made me, made me laugh. 
did you have any sense, you know, when you first started on the Clone Wars that you would still be here, you know, getting to like really dive deep into this character and spend so much time with her? No, I mean, you know, when when I got the call to to play Bo, I really thought it would maybe be for like an episode or two. I really didn't have any expectation other than I I was excited to, you know, voice a character in a Star Wars animated show. It was for me such an exciting moment growing up being a Star Wars fan um, and to be a female Mandalorian warrior. I was like, oh my God, of course I'll do this. Um, and and so every every episode I got asked to come back was icing on the cake already. Um, and, and when this happened, I, I was genuinely like moved that not only was she making, you know, the jump to live action, but that that John and Dave wanted me to do it. Um, it was, it was a really sort of like profound moment in, in my career. I sort of feel like, you know, voicing Bo is one thing, but being able to play her in live action, I sort of feel like if anything had been different in my career, the 25 years leading up to this, it may not have happened. You know, I, I spent many, many years playing characters that are physical and complicated and, and on paper, probably pretty similar to Bo. Um, and so I think that it, it made sense and, and, you know, it's sort of weird to look back at my career as a whole so far and realize that it was all sort of potentially leading to this place, um, which is really great, you know, with the with the benefit of hindsight, it's kind of awesome. That's so magical, absolutely. Yeah, and I'm curious, you know, for this episode, you know, we got to talk about the dark saber. You know, <laughs> we, we see Bo Katan. You know, she comes to rescue Din. She wields the dark saber, but then you know she doesn't take it. What did yeah. you kind of make of of that moment? You know, I know, I know. You know, I wonder if people be wondering. You know, do you think she would have had a legitimate claim to it? You know, I think that that is the thing that is finally shifted in. Bo-Katan is that she doesn't want it. She doesn't want it anymore. And I know that that's, that's almost hard to understand, but when you covet something for so long and it's so elusive and you have failed at every turn, we saw her not take it the last episode at the end of season two. I don't really think that it ever occurred to her that she had it in her hand. I, I, I think that she was legitimately just trying to do the right thing, which is such a beautiful thing to see her do. She removed her ego long enough to save Din and Grogu. And that that's, um, you know, um, that is the way. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I'm curious, you know, in this, specifically in this episode, but, you know, we, we have to see, Basically, the stunts and the fight scenes are such a cool part of this show. Mm -hmm. And you talked about getting to play really kind of physical characters. Um, I'm curious, like, you know, did you learn any like new skills this season or any like stunts that you're like particularly excited about? So I I love doing my own stunts. I love learning new skills and I love doing the fight coordination and I I I, I love it all. Um it's um, having started in my young life as an athlete. Um, there's something like satisfying about it, but also I'm incredibly competitive. <laughs> and so when I see these women that are magnificently talented stunt, stunt, stunt performers, um, there is a piece of me that wants to try it. You know what I mean? In everything. I want them to put me on the wires. I want them to do everything. I want to try everything. Because I also believe that there, that it goes into that believability when you know that an actress does that sort of stuff. It it makes it a little easier, or it does make it easier to actually um, sort of like suspend your disbelief and like get lost in these characters. Um, so I this season, though, like one of the coolest things about this show and the benefit of the helmets is that we can put the exact right person in the suit to who is an expert at that one thing to be able to make Bo-Katan the warrior that she is. So she's so captivating to watch. And this season there, myself included, four other women wore this suit, all for different reasons, all for different moments and different purposes, because it's all about 
the fans. It's all about the show. It's all about making this character absolutely amazing. And it would be incredibly narcissistic to believe that I could actually do what they do. Um, and um, so I, I love the fact that that the that I can celebrate these women and acknowledge that they're that they all played a part in who this character is. Um, that being said, though, like anytime they let me do something, I absolutely do it. So there's a there's definitely some some sword play that I had a hand in some some uh, you know an absolutely amazing knee slide which they let me do repeatedly so many times that i actually have holes in the knees of my suit and um when that episode airs i'm going to post that picture on instagram because there's a picture of me with the knees out of my suit and the the look on my face is just like pure joy cuz i was so happy and i got home from work that day covered in bruises and my husband was like oh my god and i was like it was such a great day <laughs> i'm curious when you think about episode two is there like a moment from this episode or like a particular scene that's like particularly memorable for you um i love the scene with uh Bo when she's making the pog soup um and she's sitting there with grogu and um and, and, you know, Din is coming to, and she's sort of talking to him about the irony of certain things. And, and we see a different side of Bo where she's actually like, you know, we see a humorous side of her. Like she's, she's finding humor in the irony of, of their differences. And um, I think that's incredibly important that she, you know, she is she's becoming sort of interested and fond of this person um because she she finds him at times so like childlike and so different than the mandalorians that she knows and 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 i think that that she finds him she's intrigued by his life and the person that he is and i think that she has you know slowly is gaining respect for him and and i think that that she's she's uh you know right now she's just sort of like feels maybe just a a hint of responsibility for him because she may have sent him (laughs) to a place that she knew was gonna be dangerous (laughs) so Right. It's like, okay, you're going to go down to the mines and you're going to go this way. And, oh, you're going to get kidnapped by a giant, you know, go crazy for it. have fun. I'm just going <laughs> to sit on my throne. Um, I think that's, that's one of the funniest things is she, I think she knows that she made a mistake and, and, um, you know, I don't think that, that Bo wants to be responsible for the loss of any more lives. I think she's finally gotten, well, not finally, but I think that she's, she's taken responsibility for a lot of the things that she's done. And I don't think she wants to lose another Mandalorian on her watch. Absolutely. All yeah. right, great. You know, I, I was at a convention this weekend and I was spending time with the fans and listening to what they loved about the first episode and the questions that they have and all of these, like, I love the fan speculation. It's one of my favorite things to listen to what people think is going to happen this season. And I just sit there very coyly with like a smile on my face. And I'm like, I can't tell you anything. And I think it's hysterical that you think I'm going to tell you something. Um, but I kept telling them, when episode two comes, go back and watch one and then watch two right after. Um, because it's, it's, that's the way that we watched it in the theater. And I found it to be such a beautiful companion episode where they just like perfectly went together. And I, I really, really loved it. And I just can't wait for people to see it because I think that this is probably like the most we've ever really seen Bo. And it's a different side. And and I'm just really excited for people to see the the woman that I love that I've been playing for so long. So, yeah. That's cool. got to be so cool to still be learning new things about her and getting to kind of like uncover new sides of her. It is. And that's what's so great about Dave and John is that they will literally talk to me forever about this character, trying to figure out who she is and the things that she's done and what she wants and what's important to her. And, 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 um, you know, Dave, Dave and I can sit down and talk about when she was six and I love it. It's so much fun to talk about what this warrior was like when she was like six years old and what, 
you know, things that were important to her then. And, and, you know, I love that we get a glimpse of her, her father and her life um, with this man that she thinks is so great. Um, Little things like that, that I think that fans will really, really love. Um, And then fans of Clone Wars and Rebels will be, will be, they will feel so uh, respected. I think. That's so cool. Absolutely. Well, I can't wait for the rest of the season. Thanks to Katie Sackoff for hanging out with us this week. And thank you for hanging out as well. Uh, If you could please take 10 seconds, maybe 15, to follow and rate and review the podcast. We'd really appreciate that in a huge way. You can connect with us on social media by following Entertainment Weekly on all socials. It's at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag and follow us directly using at Dalton Ross, at Devin Kogan, and at Morglore. Thanks so much, everyone. We'll do it all over again next week. This episode of Dagobah Dispatch is hosted by Dalton Ross, Devin Kogan, and Lauren Morgan. Produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio. Edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. 